in our hymnals, one of the uh, songs that people know pretty well is, comes from a guy named Charles Wesley. And I could say one of the songs, but really there's dozens of songs that come from Charles Wesley. He and his brother John were uh, the, uh, basically the founders of what we know today as the Methodist Church um, back 300 years ago, uh, coming out of the Anglican Church in England. And incredible evangelist. John was the preacher. Charles was the musician. And um, they're, they're a fascinating study. And as I was thinking through this um, this morning, uh, how to introduce this, why I'm sharing this with you, uh, one of the privileges that I had in my life uh, during seminary was getting a three-week study tour in England. Um, and one of the places we went in London was John Wesley's home. And uh, he had a room that he built especially off, I mean, I know people do weird things to houses, okay? If you've, been, if you've moved into somebody else's house, you go, why did they do that, right? Well, um, if you've been, to, particularly to Great Britain, that's where I toured the most in Europe, they do some crazy stuff to houses, they just kept building stuff, and the lines do this, and you wonder, Richard, how they stay up for thousands of years. Sometimes they stay up, right? And anyway, in John Wesley's home in London, he had a room that he had built off his bedroom, which in my mind, I think I remember it being on the second floor, so they had to do something below it, <laughs> you would think. Somehow there was a room, and it was his study. And they called that the burning heart of the Methodist church. That's where Wesley, when he was home, when he was not touring the English countryside on a horseback or on, um, or on a trip to the Americas because he preached in the colonies as well, he would spend his time praying for hours. He would wake up very early in the morning. And he and his brother were a, just a powerhouse in ministry. And... Um, we have dozens of Charles's hymns in our Baptist hymnal. Yes, we have Methodist songs because it's all the cross, okay? The cross of Christ. And one of those familiar songs you'll know by a couple of different tunes is, Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. Oh, for a thousand tongues to sing. My great Redeemer's praise. The glories of my God and King. The triumphs of His grace. That's the easy one to sing, so I picked it. Um, and uh, anybody, if you, I just looked in the hymnal a minute ago. There are four verses. Do you know how many verses that Charles actually wrote for that hymn? At least 17. It made me think of some of the songs Allison led us in this morning because they, they go through those songs so beautifully told the story of the gospel. And in so much of our, in, in our music in, our, in the church throughout history, modern, ancient, in between, which I think this would be called, we are reminded of the faithfulness of our Lord. And this book I've got here, um, it's called Spiritual Classics. It's what I've been reading through in my morning devotion for the last several weeks. I've had this book for, book for years. Its publishing date is uh, 20, 2000. So it's sometime in the last 22 years I came into possession of this book. I don't remember how. I don't remember why. But uh, it has a lot of interesting readings that I was 
trying for a while to use as references for different disciplines because it talks about the tw- it talks about 12 spiritual disciplines now what i was talking with my daughter this morning about spiritual disciplines and we were talking about particularly five and uh, the more we just went through one of them this morning if you want to start talking about disciplines and particularly spiritual disciplines in the new testament you can make a long list you can classify things the way you want to. It's one of the fascinating things about the Scriptures is how rich and deep everything can be. But the discipline, especially, that they're talking about in this uh, passage was worship. And that verse that I sang is the familiar one out of that hymn. It also is the eighth verse in the list. We sing it as the first, and we call it that. Now, I don't think the tune was Wesley's, but the words were. But another one in there that's probably familiar to us, he breaks the, the power of canceled sin. He sets the prisoner free. His blood can make the foulest clean. His blood availed for me. And the verse that follows that here is probably not one what we know, and there's a lot of really interesting verses. I could read all of them, but um, they're very honest. But it talks about how the Spirit works in our hearts and our lives. He speaks, and to his listening vo- and listening to his voice, new life the dead receive. The mournful, broken hearts rejoice. The humble, poor believe. So that, friends, is the work of the Holy Spirit. And for the last three months or so, I think April, after Easter is when we started this, we have been looking at the uh, the book of Galatians, and today we find ourselves in chapter 6. And much like last week, uh, when I talked about the fruit of the Spirit, the deeds of the flesh, all those things that go along there, um, we could spend weeks working through the individual instructions, the individual characteristics of life within the Spirit. In chapter 6, in a lot of ways, not poetically, but practically, is very much like the Proverbs, very proverbial. Because when Paul starts winding down a letter, he starts thinking of the things he forgot to say. He'll throw in this sentence, and he'll throw in this sentence, and he'll throw in this sentence, and you wonder, how do these things all work together? And that's a bit how chapter 6 is put together. He's bringing up things he wants to remember to tell this precious church that he helped starts in the province of Galatia. And he's reminding them of the things he has taught them, but he's also preparing them for how to work it out in their faith, how to live it out there. So we're going to go through all of chapter 6 today. It will be very much a helicopter view. Um, I'm going to hit two or three major points along the way, probably the paragraphs as they're divided up where you see them in your, in your Bible. And there's a lot more there. Um, but I think the context fits for where we've already journeyed through throughout the book of Galatians. And if it's your first Sunday with us, you can go on YouTube and watch three months' worth of sermons uh, to catch up. So let's stand and read through Galatians chapter 6. Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. 
But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that he will also reap. For the one who sows to his own flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the spirits will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. See with what large letters I am writing to you with my own hand. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised, and only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not, let the, do not themselves keep the law, but the desire to have you circumcised that they may boast in your flesh. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything, nor circum, uncircumcision, but a new creation. And as for all who would walk by this rule, peace and mercy be upon them and upon the Israel of God. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. The grace of our Lord Jesus Christ be with you, with your spirit, brothers. Amen. Lord, thank you for your word. Thank you for the, uh, the truth you give us through the Apostle Paul's words here. And I pray we would live with the love that you give them through him. In Jesus' name, amen. Um, I read a lot this week about this particular passage. I listened to a couple different sermons, and it was interesting to me. Well, first of all, they approached it a little differently than I am today. But the, one of the reasons I'm approaching it this way is because I didn't exactly agree with what they were emphasizing in this passage. Verse 1 was where they ended up dwelling in this when they start talking about dealing with one another and our sin when we see it there. And that is a genuine prophetic need. Sometimes we are blind to our own sin. We don't see that we are tripping up. We don't see that the thing that we are doing is hurting us. It's hurting our families, perhaps. It's hurting the body of Christ. And we need someone from that brotherhood of faith to tell us that what we're doing is hurting Sometimes we just miss it, and that's because we're sinners. We need a Savior. And the, the messages I heard really dwelled hard on this first paragraph. But as I look at the entirety of this passage, the importance is there. We need to be accountable to one another. We need to realize that uh, there, through other people's eyes, we might end up seeing something that we're missing. That's one of the reasons our Bible study groups are important. That's one of the reasons we gather together and worship each week is so that we can continue to re- receive the correction of the Word to help us grow in the glory of Christ. So yeah, we have problems. We are sinners. And He does call us to be one another's keepers in that. In verse 2, He talks about it. After verse 1, He talks about it being restored in the spirit of gentleness. If you see somebody doing something wrong... It is our responsibility as brothers and sisters in Christ to gently point it out. 
Now, most of us come at it with a baseball bat. And the problem is, is that if you hit somebody with a baseball bat, you've probably killed them. And that's not helpful. That's not going to fix the problem for that person. Might fix, might cause some problems for you, as a matter of fact. But when we speak correction, we should speak it gently. We should speak it honestly. We should speak it with the truth in mind, realizing all the rest of that paragraph. Bear one another's burdens and so fulfill the law of Christ. What is the law of Christ? That law is love. The law of Christ is to love one another as Christ loved the church. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. I've been in that place, and it's not necessarily within the context of the church, but you know, as, you know, when, you're, when you're growing, when you're maturing, and you think you have something figured out, and you see something that somebody else is doing, and you think you need to tell them how to fix it, and they don't really care for your opinion. Has anybody ever been there? Especially when you're young. Most of the time, that's how fistfights start, <laughs> right? I did play grand duty. I know how the things go. But when we restore it in gentleness and we go to the proper authority, that is the Word of God, then we can realize that we're accountable to something. But we all, our, our job is not to knock each other down in correction. It's to lift one another up. It's to help that person fulfill the law of Christ. But even that, I do not think, is the point of this entire passage. Again, the people I listened to really dwelled hard on that. And if you want to, you can go look at Matthew 18 and see how Jesus instructs us to deal with offense, to deal with sin. And it does, and it should be dealt with. He gives us a clear example of how to do that. But I don't think that's the point of this passage when you start looking at what's next. Verse 6, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. I know that there are preachers in this world that would preach about five sermons on that one verse so that they could get a raise. That's not what this is about. God doesn't promise us wealth on this earth. He promised us provision on this earth. That we have what we need. And the greatest need that we have is not financial. It's this. It's the Word. That's what this is about. And I'm not filing, an, I'm not filing a grievance. We have a nice house. You pay us fine. We do fine. But that's why it's here. And I would even go to the point of your teachers in your classes, while they are volunteers, think about how you can bless them because of the time that they put in. And like I was talking with the kids earlier, one of those big ways, I can tell you what, I, I do get a paycheck every two weeks. But that paycheck to me is not that encouraging. And it's not because of the amount on it. It's just because it's a piece of paper. But when I hear from you, thank you. That lifts my spirits. That grows my heart so that I want to serve more. And he throws in this next, next line. That's why I'm saying this, this is kind of proverbial. This is a really kind of an interesting way he mixes this all together. He says, Don't, let, not the, uh, let the one who has taught the word share all good things with those who teaches. But then it says, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. 
for the, whatever one sows, that he will also reap. That's an interesting verse to show up right after the previous one. But again, I think it's kind of proverbial. He's kind of thinking of things he wants to say, but it does apply. Because I know a lot of, a lot of guys who are unable to stay in the ministry. People who are in, I mean, there are, there are churches that genuinely have to go bivocational and, and things like that. And that's, that's its own ministry. That's a totally different issue. What I'm talking about is when there's this expectation that the, that the minister is available 24-7 and the, uh, with, with the, without proper compensation, if that makes sense. I'm not talking about money. I'm talking about having their needs met. Unrealistic expectations. And I will say that you guys are great. I'm not causing a problem there. But there's legitimate instruction upon that. And when we don't honor those who spend the time to teach us the Word of God, we are mocking God. That's the warning here. And that's hard. That's, a, that's really weird for a preacher to say, by the way. I try not to talk about those kinds of things. But we need to bless those that go before us. And when I say before us, they go in front of us. To say thank you to them. To show God's provision in their lives. But now we're getting down into where it really comes to pass. Because Paul spent a whole chapter talking about the flesh versus the spirit. And he spent a whole lot of time before then talking about the covenant of grace versus the, the covenant of the law. And he's tying it up in a bow here once we get to verses 8 and 9. For the one who sows his own flesh, sows to his own flesh, will from the flesh reap corruption. Well, some practical explanations for that is simply by expecting the world to respond simply because we have done what it expects from us. If we start caving to the world's expectations, we're going to have problems. Because the flesh is sinful. And when we start investing in things, and I use that word intentionally here, when you start investing in the stock market versus in, in, in relation to the kingdom, you're going to see a big problem happen. Because when you invest in the kingdom, that is an eternal purpose that God is, dwell- God is in that. And there's nothing wrong. I mean, I've, I've increased my entire retirement uh, withholdings. There's nothing wrong with planning for the day that you want to retire. And many of you are already there and you're going, I'm thankful I did. But you can also see that the stock market crashed in 2008. And I remember a whole lot of people that I knew and loved at that moment who all of a sudden were in a panic because they were depending on that for their livelihood. And guess what? It did what the world does. The world is sinful and the world fails. And so when we invest towards the kingdom, while we may not see it in the riches of this world, we will see it in the powers of eternity and the reign of King Jesus. So we if you sow the flesh, you will reap the flesh. Now, this also goes into the, the things, and I, that was a worldly, I guess, giving application, is don't just pump all things into expecting the, the, the mechanisms of the world to do what you want them to. Because then gas prices become outlandish. I don't know if you ever noticed that. And all of a sudden, your bank account is empty anyway. 
No, what we're talking about here is that if we are constantly dealing with the desires of the flesh, we are going to constantly deal with the problem of sin. But God dealt with the problem of sin through Christ. And that's the crucifixion that he talks about here is to lay down our lives. In verse 24, chapter 5, just a few verses prior, those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. If we are continually trying to justify our own behavior simply because it's what works at that moment, we are going to reap the benefits of the flesh, which is death. It's going to fail. It's going to falter. But then, here's where it comes the opposite. The one who sows to the Spirit will what? From the Spirit reap eternal life. Go back to the end of chapter 5 and you see the deeds of the flesh versus the fruit of the Spirit. That's what he's talking about. When we pursue love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, the Spirit guides us in blessing Him and He provides us all good things. Let us not grow weary in doing good. This is one of, I get this verse from one of you, and you know who you are. Every time you give me a card, you write this verse in here. And she's sitting in the back corner, but I'm not going to point her out. I've gotten that verse a lot. And it's a verse that comes to my mind in enduring trials and hardship. Let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we don't give up. What kind of work are we talking about? What did you just mention in verse 8? The work of the Spirit. The Holy Spirit at work in our lives as we lay down our lives before Christ and receive the power of His resurrection in us through the work for the Holy Spirit. So then, verse 10, as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, especially to those who are of the household of faith. That means we take care of each other first. That's biblical, guys to care for one another. You care for your family before you care for the person next door to you, right? Is that person sleeping in your house today? You care for who is closest to you. Now, then we go out. So we start out with who we are and show the world. Christ tells us in John chapter 13, they will know us by our love for who? You remember? One another. Lots of one another's. That was one of the themes I read through as well. The household of faith. So Paul, and I'm going to tie it up in a bow here, goes in through verse 11 and returns to his whole theme. This law versus grace. This circumcision versus uncircumcision. And that's what this whole theme is all about. Is it love? Or is it for service? Is it offering, which is good, or obligation, which is pointless? Let's see with what large letters I am writing you with my own hand. This is one of the reasons I think Paul might have had a vision issue. He's writing big in the spot. It is those who want to make a good showing in the flesh who would force you to be circumcised. And only in order that they may not be persecuted for the cross of Christ. For even those who are circumcised do not themselves keep the law, but they desire to have you circumcised so they may boast in your flesh. The things that we can do in ourselves will never measure up to what Christ has done for us. I'm not going to dive back into this. Again, you can go back and review some of those things here. But this is the work of the flesh versus the work of the Spirit. Christ, he says in other places, Paul says, has circumcised our hearts. 
And that's a permanent mark upon us. And he continues to talk about that kind of theme here. But far be it from me to boast except in the cross of our Lord Jesus Christ, by which the world has been crucified to me, and I to the world. We don't have anything except that it's been given to us. Somebody has taught you how to do what you can do. You might have worked it out yourself and worked a lot of the things, but I know that when I've tried to do something by myself and then somebody who is an expert comes in, all of a sudden it happened a whole lot faster. A lot of you have seen me go through that in different ways. Christ is the master. We have been crucified to this world in Christ by which the world has been crucified to me and I to the world. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, circumcision, but a new creation. Remember 2 Corinthians 5.17, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. The life I live in, the, no, that's the other one. That's Galatians 2.20. I'm going to have to go back to 2 Corinthians 5 because I blanked on it. All of a sudden I went to Galatians 2. Um, 1 Corinthians is not it. Come on, Greg. I know the verse, but I just blew it, so I'm gonna, I don't trust myself. Um, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. That's what it is. The old has passed away, and behold, the new has come. How did he do it? The end of verse 21, and this is one I, I, I quote all the time. For our sake he made him to be sin who knew no sin, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. Christ makes us new. I can try to fix something. But I can't make anything new. The Creator is the one who does that. And He is the one who brings you life. What do we receive by this? For though all who walk by this rule, that is the rule of grace and love, peace and mercy be upon them, and upon the Israel of Christ, or Israel of God, the true church. From now on, let no one cause me trouble, for I bear on my body the marks of Jesus. He's saying, don't, don't give me a hard time. You need to see what I've been through to get you, what you where you are. He's not trying to boast in himself. He's, he's laying it down before the cross. And the final picture is the grace of God. The Lord Jesus Christ be with your spirit, brothers. Amen. The theme of Galatians is freedom. Freedom from the law. Freedom in the spirits. We are free from the penalty of death. We find new life in Him. And that is the life we will receive when we trust Christ as our Savior. If you're trying to do this yourself, I hope that you come to the point very soon where you realize that you can't. Christ already did it. It's a gift you must receive. Trust in Him. So, to the Spirit, that He might bring life. None of us in this room, in this flesh, are going to ever be dealing with, uh, the, uh, will ever have the privilege of life without sin. We need forgiveness from one another. We need correction. We need grace. We need the love of Christ. Jesus uses all kinds of illustrations. He says to take the plank out of your own eye before you take the splinter out of somebody else's. All those kind of pictures that we have. Let's examine our hearts 
and submit our lives to the work of the Holy Spirit and live out the cross today. Let's pray. Our Lord, you're good. And as we look at your word, you call us to worship you. And the only way we can worship you is by what you've done for us on the cross. I know I am a sinner who in the blood of Christ has been made a saint. I call each one here to respond to the good news of Christ today. Lord, help us to live out the grace and the forgiveness you've given us in Jesus. Grace from you, grace for ourselves, grace toward one another. I pray, God, that you change our hearts and that in this coming week and the coming days ahead, that we would submit our lives to the work of your Spirit and live in love, telling the truth of the gospel that we are sinners in need of a Savior and that you've done it for us on the cross and by your resurrection. In Jesus' name, amen. Stand together as we sing, as we glorify Christ together. Let's follow him today.